What's the greatest commandment? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.P. Charles Jr., author and pastor teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Pastor Charles will outline how to love God obediently, how to love God completely, how to love Him supremely, and how to love God faithfully. Today's message, The Greatest Commandment. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6? I want to survey the entire chapter for the length of the text and the limitations of our time. Let me read the opening verses beginning at verse number 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. I want to label the message the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. I was a young and single pastor. I discovered and read a book about Christian dating. I encourage the other young adults in the church to pick up the book and read it, and on Thursday nights, we agreed to meet together to discuss the book. Every Thursday night, we would put seats in a circle and work our way through the chapters of this book, and After we concluded the book, those Thursday night meetings continued. It was, in a real sense, the grassroots development of our young adult ministry. During those weekly sessions, there was always a point of tension when one brother in the group started talking. I'll call him Todd. His name was Todd. (laughs) All of us were young adults, but Todd had everything concerning life and marriage and family figured out. He even knew what time 
dinner would be on the table every day when he got married. The sisters in these sessions would object to what Todd had to say about marriage and life and family, but that didn't dissuade him. He would just say, that's proof that you ain't going to be my wife because <laughs> marriage is going to be this way and that way and the other way. He had it settled. And then something happened. Todd fell in love. And all bets were off. Now, decades later, we're all older, with family and children, and we reminisce about those early days together as we were encouraging one another to spiritual maturity. But when we talk about those Thursday night meetings, it's nothing even to discuss. Just bringing them up makes us laugh with remembrance because his experience eventually was all of our experience. I could state it in three words. Love changes everything. This is the message of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The children of Israel are poised to enter into the promised land of Canaan after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of sin, rebellion, and disobedience. Because of his own disobedience, Moses will not be permitted to lead Israel into Canaan, but he will give a series of farewell addresses to prepare them to cross over. These three major addresses are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapters 1 through 4 is the first of these farewell addresses as Moses looks back and reminds Israel of God's faithfulness in the past. The second major address begins in chapter 5. It is about the present, and it calls them to live for God as they move forward into the future. Moses' second sermon, if you will, begins in chapter 5 with a restatement of the Ten Commandments. The following chapters will flesh out and explain and apply how to live out these commandments in their daily experience. But before then, chapter 6, before Moses addresses the meaning of the commands, he will in this chapter address the motivation for obedience. In chapter 5, Moses records the Ten Commandments, but in chapter 6, he whittles the Ten Commandments down to one commandment. It is the commandment that Jesus calls the first and greatest of all of the commandments. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And throughout this chapter, he will indeed show how love changes everything. Not just 
love for others, but more importantly, love for God. Here is the nature of obedience stated in clear terms. Obedience to God should be motivated by love, not law. That's the point of the message. Obedience to God should be motivated by love, not law. What does it mean to love God? There are four ways to love God recorded here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Consider them with me. First, Moses teaches us to love God obediently. Love God obediently. After the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel, in chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, God says to Moses, go and say to them, Israel, return to your tents. After God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, that was all he said directly to them. They could go home. Five, chapter 5, verse 31, God says to Moses, but you stand here by me. And I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving to them. God had commissioned Moses to teach a detailed explanation of his laws, commands, and statutes to Israel. This is where chapter 6 picks up. In verse 1, Moses says, now this is the commandment the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Here, just by way of introduction, note the burden of responsibility that is placed on the teacher of God's Word. We must teach God's Word faithfully and clearly because we are under divine commission to teach His Word truthfully. But before you finish verse 1, we will see that there's not just a burden of responsibility on the teacher, there is also a burden of responsibility on the hearer. He says, God commanded me to teach you so that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. He says, God has commanded me to teach you his word, and you also have an obligation. Your obligation is to do what God commands. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived, friend, if you think you are right with God by hearing alone without doing what God says. He says, there is an obligation on the teacher to teach God's commands, but there is an obligation on the hearer to do what God commands. But going into verse 2, we see that loving God obediently is more than just some external conformity to a list of rules. There must be an inward devotion to divine truth. He says in verse 1, you are to do what God commands. But now at the beginning of verse 2, he says, 
you're also to fear the Lord. There are times I am tempted to somewhat soften that hard language by describing the fear of the Lord as awe or reverence or submission. But when you get right down to it, there's no way to water it down, church. The fear of the Lord is just the fear of the Lord. It means if you know the Lord, there ought to be some things you are afraid to say. If you know the Lord, there ought to be some things you are afraid to do. If you know the Lord, there ought to be some places you are afraid to go. He is saying here that living and loving God obediently is more than just conformity to an external list of rules. One must fear the Lord, must so stand in awe of the greatness and the reality and the sovereignty and the holiness of God that it shapes the way you live so that you, verse 2, and your son and your son's sons will keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Friend, do you love God? Moses says the first evidence of love for God is that you will obey God. You will love God obediently. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let me throw in here, friends, that the commandments of God, as the Apostle John tells us, the commandments of God are not burdensome. God's commands are not given to weigh us down. They're given to lift us up. There is blessing in obedience. He says in verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. If you want things to go well, you better do what God says. You will multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. That phrase is used several times throughout Deuteronomy to describe the fruitfulness of the land God was giving to Israel. In Egypt, they had to struggle in the wilderness. There was a lack of resources. But God says, I am bringing you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. All you have to do, listen to this, is just do what I tell you to do. And I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk is a staple. He's saying that it's flowing with milk, meaning I know how to take care of your basic needs. I know how to keep food on your table and a roof over your head. But, but honey is not a staple. That's an extra. Hallelujah. He says, if you do what I say, not only 
can I meet your needs, but I know how to give you more than what you need. Love God obediently. But then secondly, the text teaches us to love God completely. Verse 4, maybe the most important verse in the book of Deuteronomy. And for that matter, the key verse of the Old Testament. It is called the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew transliteration which renders the first word of verse 4, hear. Shema means to hear. This Shema is the fundamental statement of faith of the Jewish people. If you were to boil down what the Jewish people of Israel believe, it is stated here in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This truth has twofold implications. On one hand, it refers to the unity of God. God is one in essence. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals God to be three distinct persons that are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is essentially one God. This verse affirms the monotheistic nature of God. God is not one God on a committee of gods. He is one. This statement is not only about the unity of God, it is also about the uniqueness of God. There is no one like our God. Can I say that again? There is no one like our God. Moses here begins with the fundamental truth about God. But you're not to affirm this truth as some theological affirmation to check off the right category. If you truly know who God is, it will shape the way you live. Look at the text again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. So what? What difference should this make? Verse 5, in light of the fact that God is who God is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, therefore, trust the Lord, obey the Lord, serve the Lord, worship the Lord, praise the Lord. He says, 
love him. None of the other matters if what you do for God is not the overflow of one's heart's devotion to God. You are to love God. And love here is more than just a feeling. We know it's more than just a feeling because we are commanded here to love God. You can't con- command a feeling. Here we see that love is more than a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is what you do. In fact, love is more about what you do than what you say. As you read the Bible, you'll rarely find places where in the Old or New Testament, people directly say to God, I love you. No, because biblically, love for God is not about what you say. It's about how you live. How are you to love God? With all of your heart, says the Scripture. With all of your heart. Referring to the faculties of personhood. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or with all of your soul, your being, this is the reality of life. God has breathed into us and made us living souls with all that you are. He says with all of your strength, with all of your might, with all of your energy, That is, the point is not the distinction between terms, but the collection of them. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, actively, with everything in you, you are to. The psalmist says it this way, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is what? Within me, bless his holy name. This is how you must also love God. You must love God with all that is within you. You are to love God completely. It is not real love for God if you compartmentalize life so that there are areas of your life that are open to God and other areas that you have put on lockdown so that you can do what you want to do without God interfering. To know God is to love God. But watch how Moses proceeds. To know God is to love God. But if you love God, you'll only want to get to know Him better. And the more you get to know Him, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you'll get to know Him. Look how he expresses this in the following verses. In order to learn to love God, you must internalize His Word. Verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's where God wants His Word, church, in your heart. Not just in the, the pages of your Bible, but on your what? Heart. 
not just on your phone or tablet, but on your heart. Not, not just in your journal or notebook, but in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says it this way, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You you need to read God's Word. You need to study God's Word. You need to memorize God's Word and meditate God's Word so that it is not just words on a page, but it is truth imprinted on your heart. This is the way to blessedness. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of the water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither, and in everything he does, he shall prosper. You need to get the word in your heart. But then he says it not just should be on your heart, your whole life should be saturated by the Word of God. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Just note, you'll see this in the chapter here and throughout Deuteronomy, the burden of responsibility for the spiritual instruction of children rests on the parents. He says, your children need to know God. But he doesn't merely say, bring them to church or take them to Sunday school. You ought to bring your kids to church and take them to Sunday school. But even that can be dangerous if what your children hear in church on Sunday is different than what they see at the house all week. Notice the high calling of godly parenting. You not only need to get the Word in your heart for your own soul's sake, but you need to get the Word in your heart, he says, so that you can diligently teach your children. He doesn't say this requires you to have a graduate-level degree in theology. He just says, saturate your life with the Word of God. Crystal and I were young when we got married, and we, we lived on a diet of fast food. We started having children. Crystal determined her kids were not going to live on fast food. She started learning how to cook. And I remember in those early days, I'd come home from work and see all this stuff laid out in the kitchen. Meat, and recipes, and utensils, and it smelled good. This is great. Go in the room or change clothes or take a shower and come back out, and the kitchen is clean. And the stove and oven not on. Where's the food? She said, Boy, that ain't for today, that's for tomorrow. Tomorrow? I'm hungry. What do you mean tomorrow? 
But I didn't know what she, she was seasoning up the food to let it sit overnight. They call it marinating. Y'all ain't in here with me. And when the food gets through marinating, help me hear somebody. It's good to the taste. And what the Bible is saying here is that you need to go through that same process if you want to learn how to love God. You, you can't just rush through a few verses in the morning to get it out of the way. You got to let the word marinate throughout your life. Your whole life needs to be saturated with the Word of God. Your children, he says, ought to be hearing you talk about God's Word when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Your life ought to be saturated by the Word, he says in verse 7, in every place. If you just chilling at the house, or he says if you are going about your way, work and school or the market, your life ought to be saturated by the Word of God, but not just in every place, but in every period. Listen to what he says in verse 7, when you lie down at night, you ought to pillow your head with the Word of God. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to begin the day with the Word of God. Deliberately and strategically keep God's word in front of you. This is what he means in verse 8 and 9. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Jewish people took this literally, some of them did. Even uh, if it is not literal, the metaphorical point is just as emphatic. He's saying, you ought to, as it were, tattoo God's Word on your hand so that when you start working, you can't help but think about God's Word. Put, put, put it as a frontlet in front of your eyes so that everything you see, your perspective on life is shaped by the Word of God. Hang it on the doorpost so you'll see it when you go in the house. Hang it on the gate so that you'll see it when you leave the house. To, to know God is to love God, but to love God better, you got to know God better. Love God obediently, love God completely, thirdly, love God supremely. Chapter 5, verse 7 says, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the great danger to our spiritual lives, putting anything ahead of God. Matthew 6.33 records God's affirmative action program. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Don't ever allow anything to get ahead of God. You're to love God supremely. To call them to this kind of love, there are two warnings in this text, verses 10 through 19. The first warning is this, do not forget God. 
do not forget the Lord. Verse 10, Moses says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, now you're about to get this land, he says, but this is not your doing. It's not because of you. God is just keeping a promise he made to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's giving it to you because he's faithful to his word. And he says, when you get it, I want you to recognize that nothing you have is because of you. I'm still in verse 10. He says, look at what I'm about to give you. I'm going to give you great and good cities that you did not build. Let me show you how God's going to work. He's going to be taking down the nations, but keeping their cities intact. And he says, you're not going to have to rebuild. I'm going to give you cities that you did not build. I'm going to give you houses full of good things that you didn't fill. I'm going to give you cisterns or wells that you did not dig. You will drink from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Don't miss what he's saying. God did it all. Do you know that? God did it all. What you have, God gave you. What you know, God taught you. Where you are, God brought you. And wherever you're going to get, God's going to have to take you. God did it all. He lays down this big point because there's a danger. There's a spiritual danger you all, we all must be careful of. It's still in verse 11. It's the last phrase of verse 11. Here's a great danger you must be careful of. You can eat and get full. You say, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to what he's saying. It's it's easy to remember where your help comes from when you're in need. But all you need and get full and prosperity can lead you astray. That's what the prosperity teachers don't tell you. That Material possessions can be cancerous to the soul because the more you have, the prone we are to become self-sufficient and to think that we are the source of what we have and we begin to forget where our help comes from. He says, you can, get, you, you can eat and get full. He says, so let me warn you. Take care, verse 12, that you don't forget the Lord. That's a warning, church, you need to hear if you're going to love God supremely. Don't forget God when life gets good. Well, I'm glad to tell you that if you do what God says, He can bless your life real good. But don't forget God when life gets good. The God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Look at verse 14. When life gets good, don't go chasing after other gods. Couldn't bring you out. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. He says, do not forget the Lord. But then there's another way He says, I need to warn you to make sure you love God supremely. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not test the Lord. You see, if you're not careful, prosperity can get you off track, but so can adversity. We can can forget who God is when things get good, and we can also forget who God is when things go bad. This is what he's saying in verse 16 when he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. This is a reference to Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. The people of Israel camp at Rephidim 40 years prior to our text, (laughs) and they are thirsty. And instead of calling on the Lord, they quarrel with Moses and put God to the test. They actually say, stay with me for just a moment. I'm going somewhere with this. Why has the Lord, here's the phrase, brought us out of Egypt to let us die with our livestock in the wilderness because there's nothing to drink? And they the Lord. That is, they questioned God's faithfulness when things were not going their way. God took the issue to Moses, Moses took the issue to God. God told Moses, get your rod and strike the rock. He did. Water came from a rock. But Moses named the place Massa, which means test. And now in his farewell speech, he says, when you get into the land flowing with milk and honey, don't do that again. Don't don't question God's faithfulness when things don't go your way in life. Y'all are not getting this. Here's the key phrase. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to let us get here and die without nothing to drink? Their very question betrays their unbelief. Do y'all know how they got out of Egypt? Let me tell you, y'all sitting there quiet, you're making the sermon longer here. Let me tell you how they got out of Egypt. God sent Moses, right, to tell Pharaoh, let my people go free. And after 10 plagues, he finally decides to let them go free, but God hardens his heart. And he begins to to pursue the escaping Hebrew people. 
And he chases after them. And there is Israel with Pharaoh behind the Negev or desert or wilderness on one side, mountains on the other side, and the Red Sea. In, let me try it another way. Water in front of them. Moses said, Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, what you have in your hand? Just use what you got. You waiting on something. That I can give you what you need if you just use what you have. He lifted his rod, and the Bible says God made the wind blow. And he separated the water from the water. And the children of Israel walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. He's try- God knows how to handle water. There are liberal scholars who don't believe in the supernatural. And they say there's no way the Red Sea parted. What happened was they were just at a shallow part of the sea. And because it was a shallow part, they were able to walk over. Well, okay, if you want to play that game, it's still a miracle because that means Pharaoh and his army drowned in shallow water. <laughs> Help me hear somebody. <laughs> No, I, I, either way you look at it, I'm trying to tell you, God knows how to handle water. And if God can bring you through the Red Sea, don't question his faithfulness when you get thirsty in the wilderness. I'm talking to somebody here, and I'm not trying to diminish the difficult time you are going through right now. I'm just trying to remind you that you've already seen God do so much. Help me hear somebody. And the same God that brought you through yesterday, he ain't dead, he ain't sick, and he ain't hurt. He's still able. He's still in control of the water. He still knows how to put marriages back together. He still knows how to heal sick bodies. He still knows how to pay your bill. He's still able. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Don't test him. He ain't got to prove nothing. He's already proven himself. He's already proven himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got to move on. I wasn't feeling good today, but I'm feeling all right. I grew up in a church when the choir didn't sneak in from the back. They marched down the middle aisle. And on many Sunday mornings, they'd march in singing, The Lord is blessing me right now. I didn't know if they wasn't feeling well, if their bills were paid, if their children stayed on all night. But they would say, The Lord is blessing me right now. How you know he blessing me? He woke me up this morning. Hey, hey, he started me on my way. The Lord is blessing me right now. Love God. Let me show you one more thing and I'm sitting down. Love God obediently. Love God completely. 
love God supremely. Lord, hold my mind for just a few more minutes. Lastly, love God, verses 20 through 25, love God faithfully. Love God faithfully. So the boy was in class writing love notes instead of doing his work. And he's writing to the girl he likes. I love you with all my heart. I just want to be with you. And I'll do whatever it takes to be with you. I'll climb the highest mountain (laughs) just to be with you. I'll swim through the ocean to be with you. I would walk through fire to be with you because I love you so much. P.S. I'm going to come see you Saturday if it ain't raining. (laughs) This is how we are with God. We make all kinds of promises, but just a little rain shifts our faithfulness. But Moses says to love God is to love God faithfully sunshine or rain, up or down, success or failure, high or low. Are y'all in here with me? Look, Look at verse 20. He says, let's fast forward the story to a day down the road where you are. He says, I'm going to be dead and gone. You're going to be in the promised land. You're going to be enjoying milk and honey. But in the midst of that, don't forget God. Make sure that you obey God's commands even when life gets good. He says, but there may come a day when your son comes to have a talk. And he wants to know, why must we keep these commands and statutes and laws. There's going to come a day when your children are going to come and ask, why do we have to go to church every week? Why do we have to give God an offering on the top of every dollar that we get? Why do we not get to do stuff that other families get to do. He says this is a big moment because this is how, this is the process by which faith matures. Faith to mature has to at some point go from what to why. Lord have mercy. You you, you need to not only know what you believe, You need to know why you believe. Y'all ain't in here with me. And there's going to come a time when your children ask, why? And he says, let me tell you what you tell them. Tell them we was slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh was beating us down. And God stepped in. 
And with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, God brought us out of the land of bondage. And then he brought us into this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. That's why God is worthy of our obedience. We're not obeying God because we're trying to manipulate the hand of the Almighty to produce what we desire. We are faithful to God because we've seen what he's already done. He brought us out. Look at what Moses says in verse 23. Tell your children he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Well, just the first part would be good enough. But God is so good. He doesn't just bring you out. He knows how to bring you in. He's called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Are y'all in here with me? I I, I need to obey God because of what he's already done for me. And it will be righteousness for us, verse 25, if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commands. Do not misunderstand this term righteousness here to mean that if you obey all that the chapter says and all that the book will later say, it will make you righteous by your self-effort. Really, the word righteousness is, the, is what, if I may, it's what the entire Bible is all about. God is a holy God who has set righteous standards. And he will judge everybody according to those righteous standards. The problem is, all of us fall short. No one in here has loved God obediently, completely, supremely, faithfully. You may do better than the person sitting next to you. The problem is the person next to you is not the standard. God's God's standard is perfect righteousness. And all of us have failed to love God the way we should. That's the bad news. The good news is, Though our love is fickle, his love is faithful. And, and, and God is shaping Israel to be a certain kind of people because it is through Israel that God would send his only son into the world who would live the righteous life that we could never live and die on the cross to pay for our sins. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I thought y'all would be more excited about that. You're not, so I got to come get you. You're sitting there cool, but I've, I've seen your transcript. I'm not talking about high school, college, graduate school. I'm, I'm talking about the principal's office in heaven. I've seen your grades. They don't look good. Don't look good. Pleasing God, F. Obeying the law, F. Fearing the Lord, F. Loving your neighbor, 
F doing good. F you you flunked every test. You failed every assignment. Your attendance has been inconsistent. Your cooperation has been unsatisfactory. You are going to fail. But what if I told you that the class valedictorian is willing to switch grades with you? He got all A's in every assignment. Y'all ain't in here with me. And he's willing to put your sin on his record so that he can put his righteousness on your record and you can walk the stage when you get to heaven in perfect righteousness because Jesus paid it all. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, then may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne on Christ. Not on my mama's face, not on my daddy's ministry, not on my good works, but on Christ. The solid rock I stand, all other ground, sink and sink. God be blessed. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.